Welcome to the First Assembly podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and find encouragement through the Holy Spirit. And I just speak so much honor of how you have managed and run your own journey and the secret place in your own family, and it has created health in this one. And so we just say thank you for leaders like you who have stepped forward. And Heather, you had deposited in my heart the other day, uh, or a few months ago actually, the word flourish. And I see your household flourishing. I see this household flourishing. I see what you have put your hand to as being established, and it is flourishing. And I just speak over you that same word back to you, flourish. Your roots are deep. The fruit is abundant. And I honor you both. Matt, thank you so much. Uh, What he released last night, who was here last night? Truth bombs after truth bombs after truth bombs, and the pain was in your offering. That was not a cheap message. That was one that you wrestled with. That was one that you walked through. When someone is speaking that God is good all the time, and they have suffered the loss of a child, that is someone that has wrestled through, and I honor you for what you released because you had the authority to speak to us, and you called us higher. You matured the body of Christ. And I just want to say thank you for the deposits that you brought to us. You poured out, and I received, and I was blessed deeply for what you journeyed through and what you gave to all of us, and we receive. It was quite a thing when you were talking about this house and what it's meant to you over the years. It's meant the same. And when you talked about that moment, that encounter that you had with Paul Oakley and that you called it a skit, human video, it was pretty cool. That was our TMC kids, and I was actually sitting next to one of them. She was 19 years old, your son Joey's age, when she was up here, and she sat beside me now, a 36-year-old, and I said, that was, that was our team. That's what we did. And it was this full circle moment of remembering that moment in God. Afterwards, I talked to Pastor Ben about it, and I said, that was, that was the crew. I remember that song. I remember that moment. I didn't know you at the time. I didn't know Ben. Ben said, I was here. I was sitting over here. Snot was running down my face. And I had an encounter with God. And I had a vision, can I share, about revival for this for this city, for this land, and I saw coffee shops, and I saw a river, and it was multicolored, and it was flowing through the coffee shops. And he's like, I think that represented the marketplace. And it was, it was in that moment that I had this vision. It was so technicolor of revival coming. And he had it at that encounter. And he said, I didn't even know who Matt, I didn't know Matt Tapley at the time. And I said, I didn't know you, Ben. I didn't know Matt. But Craig and I were here. Tim was here. It's for such a moment as this. There's a convergence in God. And he's doing something. He's doing something. And he's doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing. And that's what I love also. What Matt talked about was teachability. Because it's a constant renewing of our mind to break off limits of what we think that new thing is. Because how many of you know, we all are saying make way for the new. There's a transition happening right now in the body of Christ. But what exactly that is, we don't know. We don't know. And so we need to be in this posture of humility and teachability in order to have capacity to receive what he wants to do. And so I am, number one, a friend of God. That is my highest call. After that, I'm a stay-at-home mama of four kids, and I am wife to Craig Hill. What an honor. What an honor. And so my encounters in the Holy of Holies 
take place and are surrounded in moments of mundane and ordinary. It is between basketball tournaments and picking up kids and doing laundry. And I tell you, when I write my first book, it that will be titled Revival Starts with Laundry. Revival begins with laundry. That is where my encounters with him happens, between the loads of laundry, the mundane. But I tell you, when you walk with God, when you abide with him, these moments, he whispers his secrets. So this is the encounter. He talked to me about what he's doing in the church right now and what he's doing in us. And it came this way. It came in a parable. Oftentimes what happens in the natural is a, is a reflection of what he's doing in the spirit realm. So he will teach us through parable, as Matt talked about last night. He will teach us and he will say in an ordinary example, this is what I'm doing. And so we had the honor and privilege. My mom and dad, they are so generous with us. And they um, just want to say... Love you, mom and dad, and my kids that are here and team. Just want to say thank you and honor you guys for being here with me today. Um, We don't walk this journey alone. We need our people. We need good people. We need trustworthy people. So thank you for being here, team, and my family. Um, We uh, had the opportunity. My parents blessed us with a new bed. My son is almost 16 And so instead of this twin bed, he was getting the upgrade to a queen bed. And so that was awesome. We were excited. We were pumped. We were ready. We also would have a place when my brother came into town for him to stay. So this was good. So I got a call from the brick 24 hours before saying, the delivery is coming. Make sure we're going to be there between five and seven. And the only thing you have to do is make sure you get rid of the old bed. So there's space to put the new bed in. I thought, got it. But I said, got it between dinner, grade three homework, and I don't know, I forgot about it until the next day, it was four o'clock. I was at meetings, meeting with great people. And I said to Craig, who also has a real estate business, and he was with clients. I said, babe, forgot to do the bed thing. Can you handle the bed thing? Can you get rid of that old bed? He said, thumbs up. Awesome. Seven o'clock rolls around, doorbell rings. I open the door, it's the brick. Welcome, I'm so excited, follow me downstairs. I open my son's bedroom door and guess what is sitting there? It's the old bed. I was embarrassed because here is the delivery people with the new bed, with the new bed. And I felt in that moment, the Lord say to me, this is a picture I am dismantling right now. And if you do not dismantle the old mindsets, limiters, ways of thinking, belief systems, you will not have capacity or space to receive the new. And the blessing will be delayed. And I said, I do not want the blessing delayed. I do not want the blessing delayed. And so I took time and I undismantled that bed. And Craig came and helped me. And then Josh joined too. But it took hours longer than I thought. And in that process of abiding, the Lord was speaking to me about his church. He was speaking to me about mindsets. He was speaking to me about ways of doing things. And he was saying, I'm dismantling. Will you trust me in the transition? Will you trust me? And will you make space? Because we're talking about the new wineskin. We're talking about capacity to receive the new wine. We don't want to miss a drop. We don't want any to spill out. And the new wineskin, beloved, is us. He's transforming us. He's renewing us. He is taking us from glory to glory and strength to strength so we can receive what he has for us. And so this is what he is doing in his bride right now, globally, but also in the microcosm of you. In you, what he's doing. Will you trust him? Will you trust him when Holy Spirit puts his finger on that thing? And will you, like Matt said, repent, change your mind, and create capacity to receive what he has for you? Amen? 
Okay, that's not even my message. And I know, past, I know, Pastor Ben, I'm, I'm on it. Like, I'm rolling through. This is short and sweet. This is short and sweet. In my time of reading the word, God brought me to this passage of scripture. It's found in 2 Kings. And it contains a powerful punch. I've never seen it this way before. And so I'm just going to pray. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We welcome you. The God of the generations. The God of faithful one. Ageless one. So unchanging. We welcome you, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. We welcome your power to speak in to our hearts today. May we receive what you are saying and may we respond to the call today. Amen. How many of you are familiar with the story of Hezekiah? Hezekiah just to give context, he was a good king. He was the 13th king of Judea. He was so good because the king before him was evil. And in the house of the Lord, there were shrines set up and idols, and he tore those things down. And he established righteousness back in the temple of God. That was what he did. And I love um, what it says Uh, Here, to give you context, it speaks in scripture. It says this, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judea, either him or after him. He held fast to the Lord. He did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord uh, given to Moses and the Lord was with him and he was successful in whatever he undertook. He was successful in whatever he undertook. So much so that he went after the king of um, Assyria and he rebelled against this king saying, no, I'm not going to follow your ways. I'm not going to submit to your ways. And when he got threats from the king of Assyria, he laid those threats before the Lord. And he said, God, you've heard what my enemies say against me. What are you going to do about it? Remember what I've done. And the Lord delivered him. 185,000 of the Assyrian men were killed in the night by the angel of the Lord. How is that for favor? You just, you don't even have to do a thing. You just watch the deliverance of our God. This was Hezekiah. Maybe you're more familiar with this part of his story. It talks about Hezekiah and his illness. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah came to him saying, this is what the Lord says to you. Put your house in order because you are going to die. This was Hezekiah's response. This is what he said. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked faithfully before you and wholeheartedly devotion and all that I have done good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah, the prophet who delivered that message, left the courts, the Lord spoke to him and said, tell my servant, I will give him 15 more years. Hezekiah changed the Lord's mind through prayer, through his request, through his response, through him turning to the Lord and weeping bitterly. Wow, wow. The king of Babylon's son heard that Hezekiah had been ill. And so as a point of sympathy, he sent envoys to Judea to say, hey, we're sorry you're sick. Here's some gifts. Well, when Hezekiah was there, he received them and said, come on in, take a look at my kingdom. And he showed them everything. It talks about showing them his olive oil, his armory, all of his treasures, nothing in his palace did he hide or keep back. Wow, probably not the wisest choice. 
Isaiah heard about this and he came and he said, what did they see in your place? And he responded, Hezekiah responded, they saw everything. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord is... Um, So that was what Isaiah said, and this was Hezekiah's response. This was his response. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Does anyone grab that? I read this, and I was so struck that he didn't even ask God Please no, I'm sorry, I repent, not my children, not my kingdom. He was satisfied that it didn't have anything to do with him. It didn't affect his lifetime. It didn't affect him in the present. And so he was okay with it. When it was had to do with him and his kingdom and the Assyrians, he put the plans before the Lord and pleaded and prayed and stood in the gap. When it was his illness, he said, no, God, please spare me. And he wept bitterly. He saw evidence of the Lord changing his mind. But in this moment, when Isaiah gave the word of the Lord, he thought, well, this isn't going to happen in my lifetime. So I guess it's okay. And this, my friends, is what I want to invite. I believe the invitation of the Lord is that we are gatekeepers for this generation. And we will stand in the gap. We will not allow the enemy to cut in on and steal because we're comfortable where we are in our lifetime. I am thankful that my grandma, who was retired in Phoenix, who played golf in the Senior Symphony, She did never retired from her position in standing in the gap for this generation because, friends, the seeds that were sown that we are now living and reaping and harvesting were from those people of years gone by. They did not say, well, it's okay. It's only about me. It was not about them. They prayed and there was a legacy. There was a heritage that they sowed into. And so now that we're in this season of reaping what we did not sow, I feel like the Lord is saying, as you harvest the reward and step into it, will you continue to sow in to tomorrow's generation? Will you continue to stand in the gap and call them forward and not allow them to be robbed, lost, or stolen? I am grateful that my grandma did not just sit in her lifetime and think that was okay. But when she saw me in a wrong relationship, it was because of a praying grandma that she stood in the gap and she called on the name of the Lord for me so my birthright would not be stolen. She wept tears. She prayed for me. When she saw what I was going through, when she saw I was walking the other way, she said that was not okay on her watch. It's not okay on your watch. You know where you need to stand. And I invite you to stand. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the three-chord strand of the generations walking together in honor and in humility that is bringing strength to this hour. I honor people like Mrs. Thomas who are in this room, Viola, BR, these women, these my mom and dad that prayed, the Cantillon family, the Johnson family, that have prayed prayers, the Tapley family, that have sown seeds. And now we're in this hour. But we say thank you and we have honor. It unlocks blessing and it unlocks legacy.
And we won't just stop there and consume, but we will carry on and continue to sow into and call the lost home. We will call the prodigals home. We will stand and take position as the gatekeepers of this generation. And we will walk in the three-chord strand together. 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 I honor the Joey, 19 years old, as your dad had an encounter. And now you're here full circle. And I see on your life legacy. I see on your life a mantle, the hunger of God. And as you were having encounter, you will carry on the legacy and the inheritance. And I honor you, Joy, as a 19-year-old. And I link arms with you. I link arms with you as we step forward of what God has for us in this hour, for this time. Jesus, thank you for your kindness. Thank you that honor unlocks the generational blessing. Thank you for humility. Thank you for inheritances. Thank you that we are sons and daughters. Thank you that you're restoring the family of God in this hour, that you're turning the hearts, as it was prophesied in Malachi, the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children back to the fathers. And you're restoring the family of God in this hour. Not only are we sons and daughters, but we are brothers and sisters. For the word says, how can you hate a brother and love that you can't, whom you can see and love a God whom you can't see? Oh God, they will know that we are your disciples by how we love one another. Teach us to be evidence for the world of what kingdom family looks like, that we stand on guard for one another that we stand on guard for one another. We stand in the gap for one another. When one falls, we pick up and we restore. We are brothers and sisters. We are mothers and fathers. We are sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. Restore the family of God that we can be a picture to the world, the lighthouse, the city on the hill, the city on the hill shining, giving hope to the broken world of what the family of God actually means. This revival is going to be marked with love. It's going to be marked with God's love pouring out over us, the Father's love. Yes, we're sons and daughters, but the evidence will manifest with brotherly love, of brother to sister love, of one to another. You will know, they will know, the world will know by our love for one another. That will be the evidence of this revival. That will be the evidence. That will be the evidence. That will be the evidence. And so we stand in this tension place of revival awakened to our first love, of restoration of our own souls and reformation as we take um, the, the, as the floodwaters of, of depart from the church and they go into our spheres of influence and God's love, the resurrected Christ in us heals the places of influence. Wherever we step our feet, we bring his love. And so we say yes to the call to pray. We say yes to the call to intercede for this generation. We say yes to the call to humble ourselves, to walk with our brothers and sisters, the 12-year-olds, the 19-year-olds, the 27-year-olds, the 37-year-olds, the 97-year-olds, and we're going to do it together because he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. I was just going to, I was going to hand it right to my brother. I was like, you got it from here, bro. So thanks so much for your word last night. You set it up perfectly and I just honor you. And I just can't wait to hear what you have to share. Can't leave yet. One second, one second. You need to, uh, you need to pray into this yeah, before we, uh, we transition. No, oh, you're praying, not me. Okay. You know what? This is awesome. It's 1111, yeah. which is significant of remnant root. And that is what it means. It's, it's um, found Isaiah 11, 11, and it is the remnant root. And we say yes, God, to alignment. We say yes to your purposes for this generation, for this hour. 
for the tipping bowls of the saints that have prayed prayers before us, for the great-grandparents, the grandparents that have stood unselfishly and they've sowed prayers, for the great cloud of witnesses that is watching this hour and they're cheering us on. We will not grow weary in well-doing, but we will reap the harvest and we will press on in faith. And so God, we say yes to the call and we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's show our appreciation to Stephanie. Wow. Honor and unity unlocks generational blessing. That'll preach, which it did. Uh, we're going to have some ministry time uh, after Pastor Matt. So if there's some, some things that you would like to, uh, to have prayer for in regards to some of those things that were talked about, um, hold, hold tight, and we'll get to that. But let's welcome Pastor Matt up to the stage for uh, part two of our morning session. Love you, buddy. I just want to say I appreciate Tim's taste in clothing. <laughs> <laughs> you guys didn't get the memo. <clears throat> Stephanie, I just want to uh, say just... Um, not to add to, but to affirm what you're saying. I've carried, I've carried that word for two years from, from second Kings 20 about, yeah, from the, the idea of when you turn your face to the wall for your own need, but not for the next generation. Wow. So it's, it's a theme in the spirit. I'm just affirming what God is saying is that we need to be a generation. I just want to, we've got to pick up what the spirit is saying. If we have ears to hear what the spirit is saying, it's the only reason I'm saying it is that it's, it's a theme of the spirit that we've got to, got to get what he's saying. I don't want to be selfish. You know, where, you know, in, in, in the world's economy, uh, you know, I, I feel, I, I feel for myself and I feel for my kids. When you look at debt numbers that don't even make sense, you know, at, at, at national levels, you look at these numbers and you know, they'll, they'll say, Hey, if you stacked, you know, hundred dollar bills, you could go to the moon five times and back or something, you know, like with the debt. And it's like, there's this selfishness that has preoccupied this culture around us, but God's calling the church to set a new tone where we turn our face to the wall, not just for our own need, but for the generations coming after us. And I affirm that word, bless that word. And we need to receive that in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to just uh, dig right into the word uh, this morning, and I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 6, and uh, what I want to do is I just, I want to, I want to just dig into uh, some principles here and really speak to the, this room as, as leaders and potential leaders, those that, that want to uh, use the influence that God has given you. You know, really leadership comes down to how you steward influence. And if you'll use the influence that you have for godly purpose, I believe faithful and little, God will entrust you with much. And uh, I want us just to take a look in Acts chapter 6. Of course, we know that in the book of Acts, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit began. Acts chapter 2, God pours his spirit, the Bible says, on all flesh. Uh, that's the beginning. It's an outpouring on all flesh. And yet the Bible records 120 people that were recipients that should tell us something. Should tell us a few things. Gathering places matter to God. Time and places matter to God. I, I think we can blitz right past that, and there's a lot of contemporary thought that just kind of, you know, I'm I'm the church everywhere I go. I, say, I get what you mean, but there's something about gathering together. And you know, the Book of Acts doesn't read that you know Billy was out mowing his lawn, and the Holy Spirit hit him, and another guy was painting his wall, and God hit him. It's the people that hung out in a prayer room and stayed together in unity. We're talking about unity. It's about the gathering time and place that when when the day of Pentecost fully came, God poured His Spirit out on all flesh, but 120 received. And that's why the Bible says, in the time of rain, ask for rain. Be hungry when God's... We're in, an, in a day of outpouring, but we need to be asking God for the more and be positioned with hunger with one another and, and really pressing forward. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. You know, and, and the 120, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. They got fire on their heads. They stagger like drunks into the street. Peter preaches a message. 3,000 Orthodox Jews, you know, get saved, which is no small feat. I mean, God's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. They 
were, were receiving conviction and they needed a preacher to actually just awaken their hearts to who Jesus is. And so the church just begins to grow and flourish. And as the church begins to grow and flourish, of course, more people, more stuff, more things going on. And, and they needed to sort stuff out. Acts chapter six says this, okay, that there was basically a, a, um, I'll put it this way. There was a food fight in the women's ministries department. Okay. So the, the Hebraic women were arguing with the Grecian women. They're fighting over who gets more food. And it's like, uh, you know, easy, put down your sandwich, you know, but there's just, they're, they're fighting over who gets too much and they want someone to solve it. And Acts six verse two says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Just pause here for a second. We read the Bible and we know the end of the story a lot of the time. Or we get, the, you know, we, we get to the end of the story rather quick without just pausing and sitting with the text and just kind of feeling what that means. I want you to just consider for a second, if it was possible, just use your imagination for a second, but if it was possible for us to get a time machine and bring the apostle Peter and just have him here today, just, you know, time machine, boom, here's the apostle Peter, everyone, uh, you know, welcome the apostle Peter. Let's have him share. Now the apostle Peter comes and he's here to share. I wonder what kinds of things we might ask and what kinds of things we might be interested like Hey, Peter, talk to us about being so anointed that your shadow heals people. What was that all about? You know, talk to us about when you denied Christ and, uh, you know, and you called him the Messiah all in the same day. What was that like? Did you have a good sleep or a bad sleep? Like, you know, like tell us, you know, what it was like to walk on water. You know, Peter, talk to us about, you know, you know, your, your life of faith preaching on the day of Pentecost. We would want to maybe talk about apostolic order and, 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 and function in the church. But what happened in the early church, because rarely do we appreciate what we have in real time. In real time, when the Hebraic women and the Grecian women were arguing about who gets too much food, they said, let's talk to Apostle Peter about it. Excuse me, Apostle Peter, could you sort out who gets more sandwiches? Thank you. Use your leadership anointing and grace to help us uh, really get to the bottom of the important matters facing the global church. And so Peter had the wisdom, the apostles had the wisdom to recognize that while it may not be appreciated by everyone, there's a specific assignment that we need and we need to multiply leadership anointing into the body of Christ so that what is most important gets cared for by people who are stewarded by, by Jesus. Okay. I don't have time to get into everything, but there are the gifts of the Holy spirit. We're to eagerly desire those. And then there there are gifts of Christ that we're not told to pray, to be an apostle, pray, to be a pastor, pray, to be Jesus picks people and he gives them to his church and we don't get a vote. He's just like, here they are. Amen. Pastor Matt, that's a good point. Okay. So he gives gifts to his church. And so the apostles say, okay, listen, we need to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word of God and prayer. Let's get some anointed men of God who can help us take care of some of these tasks. And as they described it, waiting on tables, this proposal, verse five, please the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Catch this. There is some internal structure that needs to get straightened out. And as they look after the affairs of what needs to be dealt with internally, and as the apostles keep their eye on the main thing that we need to be devoted to the ministry of the word of God and prayer, the result is the word of God spreads. People are getting saved. Jewish priests are getting saved. Come on. That's good news. Okay. So the kingdom is spreading and advancing. Okay. Now, Stephen verse eight, 
Acts chapter 6. Now Stephen, this is a deacon. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, verse 10, but they could not speak, stand up against his wisdom or by the spirit by whom he spoke. They could not stand up against the anointing and the wisdom that was on him by the power of the Holy Spirit. They secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. And so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law and they seized Stephen, brought him before the Sanhedrin, produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Okay. Now, the next 54 verses is one of the best sermons in the New Testament. Okay. And Stephen, the deacon, preaches compellingly by the power of the Holy Spirit to the elders and to the political powers that be in that time. And he unpacks from the Old Testament all the way through to Christ. He talks all about who Jesus is. And then he puts it on them and says, you killed the author of life, but he's giving you the opportunity to be saved. Verse 54, same chapter. When they heard this, They were furious. Sorry, no, chapter seven. When they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. Chapter eight, verse one, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. All right, lots of scripture. Get this this morning. Stephen didn't let a job description become a limit to the anointing on his life. His job description was waiting on tables. His job description was deacon. How he functioned? Apostolically. When you read what Stephen is doing, Full of the Holy Spirit. It's said of him three times. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Full of wisdom. Preaches the word in such a way that people could not stand up against him. Teachers of the law could not stand against the wisdom and the anointing and the presence of the Holy Spirit on his life. When he is persecuted to his death, his death echoes the words of Jesus. He's saying, receive my spirit. Don't hold this against him. Just like Jesus did when he was being crucified. He's just modeling this Christ-likeness. And he dies a martyr preaching a message. One time he gets to preach and he gets stoned. He gets brutally murdered in the street. And there's a man named Saul giving approval to his death. I'll just throw this in for free. I think that when Stephen prayed that prayer while Saul was letting the blood splatter on him as he's saying, yeah, kill that guy. I think that Stephen's blood cried out from the ground like Abel's blood cried out from the ground. And God said, I'm going to bend my rules on free will. And he takes Saul, kicks him off a horse, yells at him from heaven because the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. And he says, he says, why are you persecuting me? And Stephen's, I believe with all my heart, Stephen's blood paid the way that that Jesus breathed on that witness and grabbed the hold of Saul and turned him into the greatest apostle that the church has ever had. A deacon who on his business card, where do you work? First assembly, what's your job? Uh, I wait on tables. Well, explain to me. This anointing, explain to me this wisdom, explain to me how you're preaching and, and cities are bending and, 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 and no one can stand up against you. 
He functioned apostolically. How can a deacon operate in apostolic grace? That's a good question to put in your notes and then stick your name in there. How could I? Because let, let, me, just, let me just give you, I don't even know how much time I have. Let me just, let me just give you just a, a snapshot of apostolic anointing and, and, and ministry just so we demystify, right? When Rome was dominating the known world. What they would do is they would go and conquer a territory. So let's just say Rome came, uh, you know, and they conquered Calgary and they, 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 you know, drove out the police and they put in a Roman detachment and they put up a sign and they just said, this is now Rome. What happened was they realized that just putting a sign on the ground and having a few Roman police officers didn't change the culture. It still was just plain old Calgary. It didn't feel like Rome. So what they did was they sent a team. After conquest, they sent an apostolic team. And what the apostolic team's job was to do, it's a Roman military term, they would go to conquer territory and bring the culture of their kingdom into the new conquered territory. That was what an apostolic team did, was just bring the culture of Rome. And so that when they came to Calgary, they'd be like, okay, everybody needs to throw away your normal numbers. We're using Roman numerals. Everybody starts speaking Italian. We're getting a lot of pasta. Okay, this is going to be like Rome. And they would change the culture. When Jesus called his disciples apostles, they understood they were in for an uphill fight because they were Jews who did not like apostles. They were people saying, no, we're holding on to our Jewish custom. We don't want to become like Rome. And Jesus says, I'm designating you apostles. Meaning what? Meaning I am asking you to go into a world and conquer territory and then bring the culture of my kingdom with you wherever you go. So the prayer Jesus taught us to pray is an apostolic prayer. If, if he wanted us to pray it like we mean it, I happen to believe he wants us to pray it like we mean it. So when we're praying, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's an apostolic prayer. We're going to see culture give way to your culture. Okay? So the church is actually meant to function apostolically. When it comes to, you know, an actual anointing of an apostle, it's kind of like I said last night, we're all called to evangelize, but not everyone's a five-fold evangelist. We're all called to function apostolically but that means that, that not everyone's an apostle, if you can get, get what I'm saying. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you following what I'm saying? Okay, so, so the, the key is how could Stephen operate with such a high degree of what is clearly and evidently apostolic anointing and yet still just, you know, by job description, be a deacon? Okay, a few things. Just write these down. Proper connection. Proper connection to the authority in his life. We saw it. Peter and the apostles say, we're not going to stop doing what we're doing. We need to focus on the ministry of word of God and prayer. We need some anointed men who are going to do this. Okay. Anointed men and women. So it's just, I'm just quoting the scripture, but this is wide open in the kingdom. So he's saying, he's saying, we need some men of the spirit who are full of God, who can actually take care of this stuff. And when they found Stephen and Philip and the others, they laid hands on them. So there was submission to assignment and an impartation from anointed leadership. If your followership of Jesus doesn't have a human face on it, you're not as good as following Jesus as you think you are. There needs to be a face to your submission. And submission isn't submission until you disagree. Submission. I'm following my leader. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. There, there's, there's a followership that we're, we're recognizing I'm a disciple of Christ, but I look for that anointed leadership that I can be rightly connected to so that I can flow in proper grace. Why? Because we're a body. And if, you know, if I cut my finger off and threw it over there on the table, first of all, that'd be weird. Okay. Second of all, that finger would be a part of my body, but unless I was able to reattach it, that would have been past tense. It was a part of my body. My finger knows its function by its connection to my hand and the rest of my body. And the only way for a disconnected part of the body to remain healthy is it has to be put on ice. 
If you disconnect from a local church, you're going to get cold. Not only that, the people who go hard on that and just like, you know, I'm in church everywhere I go and whatever, all that stuff. I'm just going to say it. I've got a microphone. All apologies. But people who just disconnect and do their own thing get weird and they don't know it because they're by themselves. Okay. So we need to be rightly connected. They were properly connected, submitted, and they received impartation. The best illustration of this I've ever heard, Chris Valentin said this, so all credit to Chris. He said, it's like riparian rights. Riparian rights, if you lived out in the country and you had water on your property, you had you know, water flowing and you could just you know, connect to a well and you just had everything flowing in your house and your neighbor had no water on their property and they just, no matter how much they dug, they couldn't find anything flowing. What you could do is strike an agreement called riparian rights where we could take a pipe from my property and connect it to your house and everything that flows in your house would look like it's yours until we had some kind of disagreement If I cut off that flow, all of a sudden you'd realize what was flowing in your house actually came from my house. Stephen got the flow in apostolic anointing because he was rightly connected and properly submitted to apostolic leadership. Okay. How else can can we operate in the apostolic mandate of the church? Confident leadership. You don't see Peter, uh, you know, reprimanding Stephen and saying, excuse me, Stephen, I've heard that you've been having some public debates and uh, I need you to get back to the church and sort the food fight with the WM. Uh, There's some sandwiches getting made right now and I think the Hebraic women are overeating. Let's get that solved. And uh, just uh, give me your contacts here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll take it from here. No, confident leadership. Go ahead. You got an open door. God's using you. We see the anointing on your life. Go ahead. Flow in what God's called you to do. Confident leadership. You know, the Bible says that in, in the Old Testament, that when, when, there was, when, when Goliath was taunting the people of God, David came as just a kid delivering sandwiches. And when no one else would do it, he's like, I'll do it. And he takes down Goliath. What happens? He takes down Goliath. And in a matter of weeks, Saul is so jealous, he can't handle it. He's throwing javelins at the kid. Okay. Fast forward to David's leadership. The Bible says that there were four other giants that guys that served David killed. Those guys were alive when Saul was the leader. Guys who had the ability to kill giants were alive when Saul was the leader. The problem was Saul persecuted people who did great things. David celebrated people who did great things. And confident leaders don't have to be the one with the best message. They don't have to be the most anointed worshiper. They don't have to be the one that's always on the front. And I'm just like, oh, what an amazing gift set. They just have to know, I am devoted to the word of God in prayer. I'm going to keep my connection open. And then I want you to flow in everything that God has for you. Run in your grace. Run in the anointed. Do all that God has for you. Okay. Thirdly, an empowering culture. An empowerment culture. Confident leadership needs to take the next step to empower, which is not just to permit, but to encourage and celebrate and advance the anointing on other people's lives. Michael and I were talking this morning about just, you know, watching Emma lead worship last night. I was talking about my daughter, Abby, who's one of our main worship leaders at our church and just watching where our kids get to start. Where do they get to start? They start, it's this whole figure of speech we've used that our ceiling is their floor. They can start, they can start further. You know, I had to start wearing a suit and waving my arms and people picked out the songs for me. That's where I started. I had to start that if I forgot a tie, they would bench me. I had to start that if the drums were too loud, it was like, whoa, this is getting demonic. You can laugh. That's my testimony. And now my daughter can start, she can write her own song, introduce it to church. People can go, wow, she's the darling of Lake Mount and just celebrate her gift and turn her loose. She can start where I, 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 where my ceiling is, she can keep going. Here's the key. Empowering leadership is not threatened by the Davids that are rising up and by the giant killers that are rising up and by Stephen doing apostolic things. They just flow in it and say, go for it. Do what God's placed on your life. Okay. Now here's the deal. Operating in a gift. Everyone needs to write this one down, please. Because don't take this whole thing out of context. Get this. Operating in a gift or anointing does not change your assignment or your level of structural authority. 
I'll say it again. <laughs> Operating in a gift or anointing does not change your assignment or your level of structural authority. As much as Peter and the apostles were not threatened, Stephen was also not elbowing his way to the apostles' table. He's not saying, oh, guys, I don't know if you heard, but people cannot stand up against the spirit and the wisdom by which I speak. I don't know if you've heard some of the testimonies, but I've been holding some services lately. My small group isn't small anymore. (laughs) It's kind of big. And uh, there's miracles and signs and wonders. And uh, yeah, I've just been thinking, uh, you know, the apostolic council might uh, need another member. He just flowed. You know what? Let heaven handle the awards. Just serve. Just dream big. If you can get connected to an empowering leader, then stay connected and dream as big as God will let you go. But don't let it go to your head like, I'm a, big, I'm a bigger deal because it's those riparian rights. You might, be get, you might be able to flow in something because of your right connection. And so many people have found when they sever that connection, they think they're a big deal. It's like, it's like cutting a branch off a tree. You know, you can cut a branch off a tree at, at, you know, when the blossoms are coming out and you can lay that dead branch down and it'll still blossom, but it won't bear fruit. Okay. So here's the deal. How much time do I have? Seriously. When, when, when do I go to? Just, Okay. Okay, till now. Oh man. Okay, good. Okay. A submitted heart is is the key to proper connection to godly leadership. Okay. Here's the deal. I'm I'm gonna say this on behalf of every pastor and leader that is in here speaking to to the diaconoi, the, the, the deacon, the servant leadership in the culture of the church. Listen, we will be limited as a church if the breaker anointing only operates in the leaders. If the breaker anointing only operates in the lead pastor, we'll be limited. We'll be limited if people really lean in. You know, uh, Pastor Tim goes away on vacation and the whole team really leans in. What's God saying today? Pastor Tim's not here. We really need to hear from God today. Boy, we need to hear what God's saying today. And then when Tim's back, Tim's got it. We're limited. We need to be leaning in all the time. When Pastor Ben's here. You know, your pastor, your leader, you need to be leaning in the whole time. We'll be limited if the breaker anointing only rests on a couple of people. I, I, I dream of a church that's just loaded with breaker anointing. I dream of a church where you have a bunch of Stevens. And that's what I love in the book of Acts is that you got Stephen and it paved the way for an apostolic anointing like Saul to get saved. And Philip was a deacon and he gets translated. I can't even, how do you process translation? Like, beam me up, Scotty. He goes from baptizing an Ethiopian to boom, I'm in a town called Azotus. Like, how long did it take him to figure that out? He had to probably walk to the edge of town and be like, where am I? Listen, we're going to step into unfathomable leaders of effectiveness when we're an army of breakers. When job descriptions just describe jobs instead of the level of anointing on your life. When job descriptions just describe the role that you're fulfilling and it doesn't describe the level of pursuit that you individually have as you go after God. It's just a job description. Yeah, my job description, I wait on tables, but I'm preaching to the city. We need more breakers. So finally, just four simple things. What, what is the breaker anointing? The breaker anointing is simply just one who goes first. It's an apostolic grace. It's a culture maker. It's a pace setter. It's a scene changer. It's a mountain mover, a giant killer. Care? It's a, it's a, it's a fear shaker. When you're walking in a breaker anointing, you're just, you're just moving forward. Okay? So four simple keys to becoming a breaker. Number one. Everybody say number one. Okay. Be a tone setter. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Okay? A thermometer tells you how hot it is in here. A thermostat tells you how hot it's going to be. A thermostat just says, here's what it's like around me. But a thermometer says, here's how it's going to be because I'm here. I'm going to change the atmosphere where I go. Okay. 
Don't wait for someone else to go first. Here's what I say to our leadership regularly. Okay. These are the inventory. This, this is what you need to ask yourself. I'm saying this to everybody. I'm, I'm saying to everybody that's here right now, I want you to ask yourself this question in a worship service. If everybody was worshiping like me, what would this worship service be like? I'm just not feeling it today. Okay. <laughs> Are you a thermostat or a thermometer? Are you going to be like David who just says, I don't feel like this today, but bless the Lord, oh my soul. Why are you so downcast? Men, you're not going to keep me from praising God. How can a man talk to his own soul? Because he let his spirit tell his soul what he was going to do. Okay. So if everyone worshiped like you, what's the worship service going to be like? If everyone gave like you, what's the offering like? If everyone prayed like you, going into a Sunday morning, I believe gathering spaces matter. Times and spaces matter. Okay. Day of Pentecost, when it fully came, God showed up. Okay. Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, he picked a date. God didn't show up three days earlier while they were still putting the finishing touches on the place. He showed up when Solomon said, Hey, everybody come to the grand opening. And when everyone came to the grand opening, they sang one song, the glory of God came and they all fell on their faces. Gathering times and places matter to God. If everyone prayed into Sunday morning, like you prayed into Sunday morning, how much prayer is going into the church? How much anticipation and hunger? Okay. These are the questions that we need to ask. I'm not going to wait for someone else to do. I'm not going to see what church is going to be like when I get there. I'm going to come white hot and I'm going to walk through the door. I'm prayed up. I got a prophetic word in my spirit. I've been covering the pastor and the worship team and just, you know, just coming after God saying, Lord, come and move by your Holy Spirit. If we all thought like that, what would it be like? It's an army of breakers. Secondly, key to being a a breaker, be authentic. Just be authentic. Okay. Don't try to impress Just take this for free, but when you're operating in the body of Christ, just aim at being faithful, not being profound. So many people, like, you know, you you ask them if they can pray, and they're like, oh, I'm just not good at it. Do you even know what prayer is? What do you mean, are you good at it? I'm not good at it. Like, God's in heaven. Like, it's like Olympic figure skating. God's in heaven going, seven, four and a half. You know, you really could have, you could have thrown in a few more Lord Gods in there. Oh, Lord God, this morning, Lord God, would you listen? Just aim at being faithful, not being profound. I just want to serve. If you're a teacher, study to learn, not to teach. Feed from what feeds you. Getting caught up in trying to impress causes us to miss the sweet spot where the Holy Spirit moves. When we get caught up in trying to impress, like, can we be honest? I don't think we're ever going to get better at doing church services than right now. What, what could we do? Like, what's next? Holograms? I mean, like, honestly, I'm not knocking. I'm just like, look at, look, like, how are we going to get better at doing church services when it comes to the functional stuff? Okay. But if, if it was just skill and it was just talent, that was really what was going to make something amazing happen, then, you know, all respect to everyone else who's playing. Let's just bring in John Mayer and Ariana Grande and we'll just really have a, a blowout service. And yet we laugh at that. Why? Because we know it's more than just talent and skill. We need people who have excellence of spirit and heart. So let's aim at being faithful, not just being profound. Do your best. Play with skill. But let excellence also touch your excellence of spirit. That I'm just coming after God with a real deep hunger and a passion for his presence. Okay? Number three, be an imitator. No one, in, no one in this room is going to like that I just said that. Be an imitator. Everyone's like, no, I, no I'm, just, I'm an original. God has made me. You know, we got a generation of young people that grew up watching Barney and Dora the Explorer. They're so special that they just, just wait for all the opportunities to come. Someone's going to come and offer me my dream job. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just so special. First Thessalonians 1, 6, 7, Paul says this to the Thessalonian church. He said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. What's he saying? You imitated, and then through that imitation, you became a model. 
They're like, wait a sec, I want to be an original. I'm not talking like imitation cream. Like no one wants to be imitation. Like this is gross. What is this, chemicals? I'm talking about understanding. Listen, listen, that the starting point for authenticity is when you embrace what deep spirituality already looks like. I think it's arrogance to think that I could just be authentically way more spiritual than anyone else. I love that you were honoring your parents and the generations that have gone before. Why? Because none of us parachuted in with all the answers. You know, someone gets some idea and they're like, finally, God's got someone who's listening. You know, you're welcome, God. The rescuer of the church is here. I'm going to do it. No, we, we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And so Paul said, you know, imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. I think if we're willing to look at leaders that are further ahead and walking deeply with the Lord and say, Lord, I want what they have. If Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, I don't think that's arrogance. I think that's the contract of leadership. Every leader is saying it, whether they say it or not. People are following you as you follow Christ. So just follow as hard as you can. But listen, as a follower, determined to actually look at and emulate and take the strengths that you can see in somebody and say, I want that for me. Be an imitator. Don't distort honor. What do I mean? Learn from your pastors and emulate their way of, with people and ministry. But listen, don't distort honor where you're like, oh, I don't want to step on toes. I don't, I don't, I shouldn't really pray right now. That's for one of the pastors to pray. Trust me, your pastor's going to be pumped if you just start praying your face off and we have to like, excuse me, we have to start the service. Okay. And then finally to be a breaker. Okay. I hope this is like as practical as we can get here. Okay. Finally to be a breaker, be engaged in the main thing. The main thing. What do I mean? Don't allow distraction of mood or an argument or temporary circumstance to impair your boldness in the moment. What am I saying? I'm saying you're coming on Sunday morning. You prayed all Saturday night. You got faith. You're believing God for a real powerful move of the Holy Spirit. You felt like the Lord was stirring a prophetic word in your heart for church. And then you get up in the morning and the coffee, break, the coffee maker breaks and you have an argument with your wife. And then the kids, you know, spill orange juice on each other and everyone's angry. And you walk in the door and you're just like, oh, forget it. God, just do something to me today. I'm just. <laughs> Keep the main thing, the main thing. You know, when things start to go a little haywire, maybe get excited instead of getting upset. Like, okay, wait a second. I think I'm not unaware of the enemy's schemes here. I think God's up to something. And I'm going to keep the main thing the main thing. Because sometimes we miss out on stuff. And if I ask you later, why weren't you fully engaged that day? You can't remember because the coffee pot wasn't that important. But it caused you to tap out that morning. Set it aside. I've come to encounter God. And I've come to bring my gift. Okay. And I believe that God's just calling us to be an army of breakers and move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. Come on, you sharp dressed man, Pastor Timmy. Can we get a photo, please? Okay. Uh, First of all, that was, that was way too much goodness for such a short amount of time. So is that recorded? We all need a copy of that. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Matt. That was some apostolic leading to leaders. So uh, I need to listen to that a few times. James kept texting me the whole time. I got distracted. But hey, before you leave, though, we're going to, can we all stand just real quick? Let's let's just take a moment and and, uh, seal what God has done. And um, again, opportunity for some prayer up front after we're going to do some, some quick things prior, but then some of the leaders will be up here to pray with you in relation to uh, these first two sessions. So let's pray together. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's just receive right now. Would you just lift your hands up to the Lord and let's just believe God for just that release of breaker anointing and that boldness of faith to come upon us. Come on, just, just pray in the Holy Spirit for just, just a minute right now. Just stir faith all over this room. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we say this morning that, Lord, we want to be a people who are concerned not just for what affects us, but for what affects the generations that we'll never see and the people we'll never meet. 
Father, we don't want to make Hezekiah's mistake of only crying for our own needs and not crying for those beyond us. And so first of all, today, God, we just turn to you and we say, give us the heart of Jesus. Let us love what you love and hate what you hate. Give us your passions. Help us, God, to think beyond ourselves and to be a people, oh God, that are setting up the church for generations to come. Lord, to thrive as an epicenter of your glory in the cities that we serve in, God. And Father, I pray today, Lord, for a release of that breaker anointing all over this room. That, Father, today there would come a determined faith in the heart of every believer. That, God, we are saying today, we want to go first in the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to be those, Lord, who are praying and diligently coming after you, Lord. And that, Lord, we want to be the the hardest worshiper in the room. Lord, generous givers. God, people that are praying and connected, Lord, to your purpose in the local church. So, Father, I pray that that breaker anointing would be released and multiplied and that father you would just anoint every pastor and leader to have confidence to raise up an army of stevens and davids to go further than we could ever go i pray in jesus name amen thanks brother so good wow thank you so much for listening to this message we pray that you have received truth and have been encouraged for more information about first assembly how to get connected, and to listen to our latest worship albums, please visit our website at www.fa.church.